And Lord, we just ask you to speak to us tonight great and mighty things we know not of. From your word right now we ask. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Well, Paul starts out, I beseech you, or I beg you, therefore. So Paul is now begging the believers. He's imploring them. He's beseeching them. He's saying, please, 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 listen to me. Therefore. And when there's a therefore, you ask what? What's the therefore, therefore? And the therefore he's talking about here is that of dedication. That our life should be dedicated to God because of His great mercies. Now remember back in chapter 5, verse 1, there was a therefore, and that was for justification. Therefore, having been justified. In chapter 8, there was one there of assurance. There is therefore now no condemnation. And now as we turn the corner once again, continuing to talk about sanctification. Now, he had just got through talking in chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the great and incredible mercies of God towards you. You're not Esau, you're Jacob. You're not Ishmael, you're Isaac. You're not Pharaoh, you're the children of Israel. God will have mercy on whom He will, and on whom He wills, He hardens. And God has opened your eyes. And we see how the Jews rejected their Messiah, that the door might be opened unto the Gentiles for salvation. And there we see how God had already preordained and planned this ahead of time, that salvation can come to us. How many of you guys are not Jewish here tonight? You're a Gentile. You're not Jewish. Raise your hand. There's most everybody and a few tired people, but I don't think there's I don't think there's that many Jews who didn't raise their hand. I, I just think you're tired tonight. That's okay. Just relax. I understand. Uh, I don't know if I would have raised my hand either if I were being asked. So, but anyway, um, for the rest of you submissive people, God bless you. And uh, but most of us, most of us are receiving the blessings and the mercies of God because the Gentiles rejected the Messiah. We talked about that last time there in Romans chapter 11, that mercies have come to us. And so he says, I beg you, brethren, talking to Christian believers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This week I had one of the junior high kids a little bit tormented over the rapture of the church. Do you remember going through that where you heard about the end times and maybe you saw a movie or two like this young person did? And just all those people taken away and all those people left in the tribulation period? And it just was a scary time going, man, am I really right with God or not? <laughs> I definitely remember that. I remember a few times where I came in and the TV was on and the radio was playing and everybody is supposed to be home and nobody was home. And you walk into the kitchen and the food is cooking and surely they wouldn't have left with the, you know, they just walked outside the backyard and I missed them somehow, you know, but you're sort of going, did I get left behind, you know? Did it happen? I mean, did turn on the TV, listening, millions of people disappeared everywhere. Oh, you know, I'm left behind, you know? 
And I'll tell you, it's such a joy to talk to these young people and just say, man, read there in Titus, by the goodness and the kindness and the mercies of God, we are saved. That God saved us, why? Just because he did. And why does he save people? Because he's so merciful and kind and loving. And God's mercies reached us. Now, God died for everybody, but not everybody's receiving that blessing. There's some people that just aren't receiving it because they're not willing, they're not wanting to give their lives to Christ. They're not wanting to believe upon him. But somehow it's connected with us. Somehow it's reached us. Somehow we've tuned in, we've caught on, God touched our heart, and a real reality happened. We became born again by God's Spirit. We're not like the world. But now God being the kind and loving person He is, He's not pushy in any way. And He's not, although He's put His Holy Spirit in us, He's not dominated by His Spirit. When a demon comes in a person, he thrashes that person around. He makes that person say things that that person normally wouldn't say and do horrible things that that person wouldn't normally do. But that demon just forces, controls them by possessioning, by possession and and possessing them and just pushing them around. But see, when God's Holy Spirit comes into us, we're the ones that possess Him. You see, we have Him. He doesn't dominate us and have us under his control. He doesn't do that. That's not his nature. And so now as believers, we have to say, God, I, you know, I wish you would make me a puppet. <laughs> make me this wonderful little Jesus puppet. It would be so much easier. But he doesn't do that. He gives us complete free will, even as believers, to do evil or to do good. Even as believers. And so now this is our opportunity to see, to express our love to him. So if he just said, okay, now that you've plugged in and sort of like a computer program, we just sort of get acclimated into the computer and and we're just sort of stuck in there and now we're just being bannered around by various programs that are, you know, that's not the way it is. We're plugged into him. He's plugged in with us, but we still have the complete free choice. We still now have to come and show our love to Him by saying, I want to live the way you want me to live. And so what is our motivation to live as Christ wants us to live? This morning I was looking with the, at our junior high and high school, I was looking at the story of Joseph and how you know, he always did the right thing, but he ended up in slavery and then in prison and then you know, called a rapist and hardship after hardship. For what? Doing the right thing. And I said, you know, I wish I could say you do the right thing. You're going to experience comforts and blessings and riches and fame on this earth like, you know, never has been told. But that's not the reality. The reality is you do the right thing, you often end up with the short end of the stick. Because we're in a sinful world that's not just and fair. And so, why do we do what we do? Because... That's what the Lord would do. That's what he would do if he were in our shoes. And you see, I now have given my life to him. Now, up to this point, it talked about the spiritual significance. It's explained in the spiritual realm. 
practically it says God's never going to leave you or forsake you. His love is never going to leave you. He's going to always be there for you. Neither height nor depth, principalities nor powers, nor anything present or to come is ever going to separate you from the love of God. The Bible's made it clear that it's not to him who wills or him who runs, but it's God who shows mercy. And so we realize it's God who initiated this relationship. It's God who's already said he's going to see us through to the end of this relationship. So what's my mercy? Well, or what's my motive? My motive is, well, I've got to make sure I stay saved. No. God's already said he was going to make sure that his love would be sufficient. He would be more than conquerors. Well, because I want greater blessings in my life. Well, that's true in some regards. But grace, you see, says where our sin abounds, what? His grace abounds more. That when I'm slipping and falling, he's holding me tighter. And when I'm struggling and not living the way I want, I don't receive less mercies and less love. I receive more to get me back on that straight and narrow road. That's Christianity. It's not like any other religion. God's always reaching out to us and loving us and helping us and strengthening us, even when we're the prodigal, doing what we shouldn't be doing. So what is the only motivation we're left with? And that is love. To respond to his goodness. And if you, you can't do that, I just say keep reading the Bible. And keep asking God to feed you in the word of God. So you can come to a deeper and a deeper and a deeper knowledge of him. Which will fill you up with that love, you see. But he comes back and he says, it's just the mercies of God that just should overwhelm you. And we're not just spiritual. Now he's going to talk about the body, you see. That you would present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. Am I born again? Yes. What did you do to get born again? I did nothing. I just said I'm a sinner and I said there's only one hope for me. That's in Jesus Christ. So, does your good works now make you more saved? No. Does your lack of good works make you less saved? No. What does doing good works in your body accomplish? Pleasure unto God. That's it right there. It's bringing Him pleasure. And so we realize that I'm not just spirit. My spirit is born again. All right, let's get past that now. Justification. I am born again. I am going to heaven. God has me in my hand, has me in his hand. He's never going to let me go. So I can just revel in that for a while and say God's mercies are incredible. They're everlasting to everlasting. And I just sort of bathe in that kindness and his good and his, and his goodness and his mercy and his love and his cross and his blood that has washed away, is washing away, will continue to wash away my sins until I see him face to face. But... At some point, after you've been pickled in that grace and that mercy and that love, your heart says, I'm supposed to be doing something. And you're absolutely right. What are we supposed to be doing? In the spiritual realm only? No. I am supposed to be doing something with my body. So we are spirit and body. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 7. That says, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, referring to our bodies, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Turn over, if you would, to 
uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Here talking about the grace of God earlier, Paul mentioned, in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, And do not present your members, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your brain, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members, your body, your, as instruments of righteousness to God. And he goes on there to say, very practically, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. So we're not counted as sinners by our shortcomings. We're counted as disobedient. We're counted as not doing what's walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. But God doesn't use the sin to ever separate us again because we're under grace. But then in verse 15 he says, What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Why? Because very practically, verse 16, Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are the one slaves to whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that from the doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now Paul doesn't like these words. And in verse 19 he says, I speak in human terms. This analogy is breaking down fast, he says. Because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of unrighteous, or uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So you see, our bodies are a manifestation of what's happening in the heart. Jesus said the mouth, out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. Well, the same can be said for the hands and the feet and the eyes and the brain. He also says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, turn there if you would, in verse 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, foods for the stomach and stomach for the food. Boy, praise God for that. Amen. Lord, you're good. Marvelous invention. But God will destroy both it and them. So eventually, um, this earth is going to melt with a uh, violent heat. Everything's going to pass away, and we're going to have a new heavens and a new earth with new body and a new kind of food. So everything that we've known here on earth is going to pass away. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And listen, the Lord is for the body. So the body is for the Lord, in verse 13, and the Lord is for the body. Let's stop here and meditate on this just a minute. Adam and Eve were given a body for each other? No. They were naked and didn't even know it. They weren't aware of it. They were like little tiny children taking a bath. They didn't know the difference. Why did they have a body? It was for the Lord, and the Lord was for the body. It was so that they could communicate with God, and God could communicate with them. It's so that they could walk with God and serve God. They tended the garden. They walked with God in the cool of the evening. They were there to 
be with the animals and the animals with them and to be able to pull some fruit off a tree and to eat it. And even in that, Paul says, we give glory to God as even as we eat and drink. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, as you remember, man originally was spirit, soul, and body. His main thoughts were the things of the spirit. His main life was living a spiritual life. His soul was blessed by that spiritual life. His feelings and personality and emotions and will were just blessed by, it's like, you know, picture an hourglass, you know. And so it was, the sand was coming down into the soul, that middle section, and then it was filtrating down into the body. And so occasionally they ate a piece of fruit and didn't really think much about the body past that. But when sin came into the world, now it's this giant body. The soul being polluted by the body and then sifting down, even corrupting the spirit, making it a hard time to walk in the spirit. But when we got born again, you see, all the old things passed away, all things became new. God now has given us the ability to turn that back up and to have a life in the spirit again, where you're mindful of the things of the spirit and not mindful of the things of man. That you're thinking more of the things of God than the things of this earth. It can happen. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it can happen. Notice in verse 14 there in 1 Corinthians 6, And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up, how? By His power. So your body can be raised up and not be put down not being subjected to the lust of this world and dragged down by the lust of this world. It doesn't have to happen. Now, we can often get discouraged. And we could say, man, I've been struggling so long with lust or covetousness or anger or pride. Man, I just forget it. I, I, it just can't be done. God just, His mercies are new every morning and great is His faithfulness and where my sin abounds, His grace abounds more. So, you know, it's just the way it's going to have to be. And so, that hourglass is just sort of teeter-tottering, you know. Some days it's a little more in the spirit, and some days it's a little more in the flesh, but never really a true conquering of the flesh. And see, by the power of God, just as Jesus raised from the dead, so now you, by the power of God, your body can be raised from the dead, this old dead world and how it used to live and to think. We don't have to be subjected to the way the world thinks and governs its time and energies and thought processes, we don't have to be a part of it. Notice in verse 19, there at 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that your body, your body is the temple? That word there in the temple is the word holy of holies. He's not talking about the outskirts of the temple. He's not talking about the temple itself. The word here is that curtain where the high priest went past one time a year where the mercy seat was at where the presence of God lived, you are that place where God's most holy presence lives. That's you. And that's the way we need to think. And so could you imagine one of the priests dragging a pig in there? Or could you imagine one of the priests committing adultery right next to the mercy seat, right next to the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Nobody else is going in there. It's a private place. This is the concept. And this is why he says, 
back up in verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. I'm not going to go into that tonight. But again, verse 19, you are the holy of holies. For the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now people often say, well, I glorify God in my spirit. I just love to worship and I love to read the word and I love to pray and I love to fellowship with other Christians. But yet, in secret, by themselves, they don't glorify God in their bodies. They may drink or use drugs or give themselves over to lust and immorality or lying or cheating or whatever. You see, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it needs to be. And by the grace of God, it won't be that way. And there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look there if you would. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. So this Christian life is a growing life. Just as you receive from us how you ought, must, walk and please God. For you know what commandments we have gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That what's happening on the inside of you, that holy of holies inside of you would come holy of holies in your hand. Would be the holy of holies in your mouth, in your eyes, in your brain, with your feet. That everywhere that Shekinah glory would be manifest. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, his body. We need to know our body. We need to know how to keep our body. How? In sanctification and in honor. Not in passion of lust. Like the Gentiles who do not know God. So Christians, you can't act like people who don't know God. That's exactly what he's saying here. Christians can look like they're non-Christians. God has not taken that avenue of choice away from us. You can still live that way. But out of love to God and by the mercies He's shown to us, we want to give our bodies over to the Lord. Notice Paul, what he says in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, he says, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. So I have this hope, I have this expectation that I'll never be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always. So now also Christ, listen, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body. You want to underline, underline those four words. Magnified in my body whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul is saying, 
why am I in this body? To magnify God. If I can't magnify God in this body, I might as well go home to be with Him. Boy, what a great thinking. The Lord is for our body, and our body is for the Lord. It's not for lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. It's not for our pleasures. First Thessalonians 5, it says, If we live according to pleasures, we are dead while we live. We're not here to fulfill and to gratify our fleshly appetites and desires and needs. And so we read there back in Romans chapter 12. So I am begging you guys, as he's wrote the first 11 chapters. He's coming back and saying, knowing how merciful and loving God is. So not this oppressive laws and restrictions as the Old Testament was. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. But this time it would truly be out of the love of God. That you would live according to the principles of God. With your mouth, with your hands, with your feet, with your time, at work, in your job, with your finances, with your spouse, with your kids, that you would truly give God glory. Truly magnify the Lord in your body. And so he says, because of God's wonderful mercies, that you would present now your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now that's tough. I mean, I'm ready to die for Christ every day. Oh, man, I'd love to die for Christ even today, you know. Go home to be with the Lord. And we often, in our heroism mentality, would love to be in that Roman arena with 20,000 people around, and they say, deny Christ, and we go, no way, you know. I'm going to live for Christ, and without Christ you shall all die, and... You know, they start to put the start to set you on fire there, you know, or turn the lions loose, you know, and, and you're going, ha ha ha. You know, I'll be with the Lord in a few minutes and you know, one day if you don't repent, I'll see you burn in hell. You know, you may burn me for a minute, but you'll burn for eternity. You know, we want this big exit, you know, that's great. We can do that. But to get out of bed today. An ordinary day. Nothing special, nothing special planned, nothing on the horizon in the next several months planned. You know, we often try to tease ourselves, say, well, you know, in a few more weeks we'll be going to Disneyland or whatever, you know. And so we say, oh, come on, you can make it for a few more weeks, you know. And we often, but there's nothing, just another ordinary day. And you're tired and, but right now, in a very small way, just to get out of bed on my knees and to say, Lord, this is the day that you have made. Nothing great, nothing spectacular, nothing impressive. Just pray, give your life, surrender to the Lord today. Today it's yours. Today I'm going to be driving. As I'm driving, I want you to be glorified. As I go to work, I'll be bumping into people. Lord, make open doors to be a witness, but at least let me be a blessing to everyone because of your love and mercy that's touched my life. And, and say, Lord, speak to my heart through the word. And whether it's one verse or a million chapters, just, Lord, speak to me and let me live out what you tell me today. And just to plug away like the turtle, just 
plugging along. Now that's tough. That living sacrifice is tough. But that's what God's asking us to do. See, that's where the character is going to be built. Day in, day out, day in, day out, plugging away at serving the Lord, giving our life to the Lord. I mean, how many times, guys, do we go two or three weeks and realize, man, I'm not being a witness. I'm not in the Word. I'm not being what God wants me to be, living the way the Lord wants me to live. I'm not... And we sort of get grieved and, you know, sort of have this cataclysmic experience. You know, we go forward again at the har- har- Harvest Crusade or, you know, call a friend and tell him, man, I've been blowing it, man. And my car blew up and I know it's the Lord telling me to get my life right. Or, you know, we want this big episode to happen and, you know, this was a turning point in my life and now I'm, you know. No. Let's just plug away. If you're not, haven't been living the way you should, just start doing it tomorrow. Just say, God, you're merciful. There's not this big black cloud hanging over my head saying, you know, doom if you don't get right soon. You know, it's, it, there's nothing happening like that. There's just, I know I'm missing out in fellowship with you. And I know I'm missing out experiencing a, fruit, a greater life of fruitfulness. And so to give your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, he does not mention spirit. He's mentioned the spirit up this far. All the way through chapter 11, he's been talking about the spirit. He's talking about your body. We often can say, well, I'm not in the word today, but the Lord knows that I love him. We're not talking about your spirit as a living sacrifice. Well, I know I'm not being a witness, but the Lord knows that I really want to tell the whole world, you know. Well, did you tell the guy at the gas station? You see, the idea is that your body is given. Your mouth, your hands, your feet, at work, in the home, in private, in public. That you are who you are because you're a Christian, you love the Lord, and your body, you're actually doing it. You're not talking about doing it, but you're actually doing it. And it is a sacrifice. It's mentioned as sacrifice because it really is a sacrifice. Try for the next 365 days to get out of bed on your knees. Try for the next 365 days to truly say, Lord, I give you this day and I want to live for you. And you feed on the Word of God and try to pray without ceasing and, and try to share your faith every single day to try to say, I'm going to share, talk to at least one person about Christ today. I heard a tape a while back of a pastor. It's a beautiful story, but he just made that covenant in his heart. And one night he had got done late at the church and... and uh, he was driving home. Or, I take it back. He had been somewhere. He had flown in, and his plane had, had landed, and he was driving home, and it was 12.15 at night. And there, the Lord quickened. You've not shared the Lord with anybody. He goes, where am I going to find anybody at 12.15 at night? And he began to drive around downtown the city, driving all over the place, and he finally went into this bar. And it was closing down, and there was this one couple that was still there and he just started sharing the Lord with them and they broke down completely, came to the Lord and they were his main deacons in his church for years after that. But he had just made that covenant in his heart. My body is going to be used to be a witness every day. And I know, God, you're going to open doors. That was just, he wanted to practically, and this is, again, it's a sacrifice. Oh, I want to go home. It's 12.15. This is, you know, I just want to go home to bed, you see. This is a little, 
uh, for me right now to witness, for me right now to be in the Word, for me right... No. I've given my life to God as a sacrifice. Okay, we got the word body. We got the word living. Now we got to get the concept sacrifice. We don't know that word here in America very well, do we? You know, our idea of sacrifice is, well, I just stuffed myself at claim jumpers with, uh, you know, the giant steak, and so I won't have the giant eclair. I'll sacrifice, you know. That's our idea of sacrifice. It does so bless me when I see so many, especially on days when it looks like it's going to rain, parking in that upper lot. It's a sacrifice to walk down, I know. But especially when I come down, I see 20 parking places. I know they're not parking because there's not parking available at that time when they came. But they had a sacrifice. And I just, it rejoices my heart. Now that's in public. People will see it and people will notice it. And, and no doubt they're doing it for the Lord, not for recognition. But again, to be that sacrifice when nobody's around, when nobody's looking, when nobody's going to be able to pat you on the back. As Jesus said, when you fast, do it, wash your face, look normal so nobody can tell. When you pray, go into your closet so nobody can tell that you're truly giving your body as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And then it says, holy. So we're giving some criteria, a holy and acceptable to God. In other words, God has made you holy. When you came to Him, His Holy Spirit came into your life. He gave you of His righteousness. He gave you as a gift His holiness. And now He's saying it's in you. One day when you get your brand new body, you're going to see it plainly. But right now, you can look holy on the outside. You can look acceptable unto Christ. Are you going to look just like Christ? No. None of us are Christ. John the Baptist, they said, are you the Christ? He said, I am not the Christ. You know, Are you the prophet? No. Are you Jeremiah? No. Are you the Christ? No, I am not the Christ. I mean, we're not the Christ. But we can live in a way that's acceptable, close to Christ. And so again, which is, here in verse 1, your reasonable service. Or um, probably more accurate, just means it's the rational response. So, Again, it's not rational, it's not logical, it's not reasonable for God to come into our lives, make us righteous as He is righteous, holy as He is holy, give us the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives that our bodies can be transformed. You see, as he talked about there in Corinthians, that by the power of God, that our bodies can do it. It's ridiculous. That'd be like having a brand new Lamborghini and leaving it parked in your garage. All the powers there are having a brand new Lamborghini and being a postman with it, you know. It's stupid to have all of that power, to have all that holiness and righteousness, and not to utilize it, not to make it work practically for you. So personally, as a person born into this world, you may not be a very kind person, and the years have made you more unkind. And so typically, you're just known as a grouch, as a not a nice, kind person. That's you. 
But you see, now you're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. God's holy of holies is in you, and the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. That's one of the works of the fruit of the Spirit, is kindness. Well, I'm not kind, but you can be kind. And you can start being kind right now with your body, with your mouth, with your eyes, with your expression, with your mind, with your body gestures, and things that you do, you can be kind. How? By the power of God. Now, how is it going to happen? Daily. As you give your body as a living sacrifice. You see, the same lack of character that's making you unkind is the same lack of character is the reason you can't get on your knees first thing in the morning. If you got the character to get on your knees and to feed on God's Word and to pray and to worship Him in prayer, you'll have the same character carried on the rest of the day. But you've got to take up that cross first thing and start dragging it. You've got to start taking that cross first thing and following Christ. Once we start getting in that pattern of the flesh, it's like trying to stop the ocean. Because our body is strong. And so I wish that my spirit was this big giant thing with these giant hands and just sort of, you know, as the big ball of my flesh starts rolling through the day, you know, this big giant metal iron ball just, you know, starts, and the spirit would just grab it, you know, and, and just with these suction cups, hands just sort of pull on the flesh, you know, and stop my body. But it's not that way. Once I get that big iron ball going, and then the time I eat breakfast, and now all of a sudden it's going downhill. And probably all day, I'll have a hard time walking in the Spirit, experiencing the things of God's Spirit. That's why the first thing in the morning, when we wake up and we cry out to God and we ask to be strengthened by His Spirit and we feed on the Word of God and meditate on that Word all day as we begin to pray and then continue that life of prayer, our flesh is stopped. It's like a big giant wooden block. It's sort of put under that big giant metal ball wanting to roll and it just it can't move. And so all day I'm in the Spirit. My flesh is trying to move too, but it can't. And my Spirit is dominating my flesh. That is reasonable to God. God is not up there going, well, if you, you, know, if you can, it would be great. If you can't, it's okay. God is not saying that. God is saying, as Paul is pleading on behalf of God, saying, I beg you. The power is there. The Holy Spirit is there. The holiness is there. The righteousness is there. There is no reason why this should not be happening. It should be happening. Your life given as a living sacrifice it's looking holy and it's walking in such a manner that's worthy of the lord that's acceptable as christ would walk john puts it much stronger over in first john chapter 2 turn there if you would way back over by the book of revelation in first john chapter 2 or chapter 1 chapter 2 yeah chapter 2 first john chapter 2 or it could be Second John chapter 1. No, it's First John chapter 2. And in verse 3, he says this. First John chapter 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. 
But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought, must, himself also to walk just as he walked. Do you understand that? Now, later in this book, they're saying, oh, well, I love God, but I hate that Christian guy over there, you know. And he says, no way. Don't play off. It's something's happening in the Spirit, but it doesn't have to happen in the flesh. He says, no way. If you're not loving your brother whom you see physically, tangibly with your body, you in no way in your spirit have a love for God. It's not happening. How do you know you truly have this love relationship with God? It's visible. It's visible in how you live. And so don't deceive yourself saying, man, I've got this wonderful, spiritual, awesome relationship with God. It just, I know it don't look like it very much. It's really not the reality. The reality is, is if God is working a deep life of sanctification in you, it's going to spill out. And everybody's going to see the love you have for God because you're going to be truly a loving person. Well, let's move on into verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. At this rate, in 21 hours, we'll have finished this chapter. So you guys got 21 hours, right? Yeah. Okay, verse 2. And do not, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. There's the next key word. First of all is your body. Second of all is your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, what is Satan's plan? What is, how, how is he going to work the world? He's right now trying to put pictures into your brain, attitudes into your brain, thoughts, feelings, politically correctness, and he's trying to bring it and suppress your spirit. He's trying to push you down. So why? You can't live it. He's trying to tie you up, bind you up through your mind. So you can't be spiritually effective. So that's why it's important that we're not conformed to the world. Now the word conformed is something that just will happen. If I'm on an escalator and I'm being moved, you see, I'm, I can't help but I'm, I'm going forward. And this is the concept of the world. If you stand still, the escalator is still moving, and it's just going to push you right in to where the world wants you to go. The word here is like if I needed to make a bust of you, I would take some clay and put it around your face and then let it loose, you see. And then you fill up that mold, and then you, have the, you take off the clay, and you've got a perfect replica of you. The world and its clay is trying to push up next to you. It's trying to make you mold into it. It's fashions, it's words, it's thinkings, it's humor. You see, if you have a godly man like Abraham Lincoln were raised from the dead, and if he were to kick on Jay Leno, he would probably be in tears at how wicked that people would laugh at such wickedness. But you see, we've been conformed, you see. So the sexual innuendos, we become numb to it. 
all of the weirdness and grossness of the homosexuality and the lesbianism and all this that's being pushed on us, they're trying to tell you this is normal, accept it, blend into it, don't let it seem weird or repulsive or, or negative to you, just accept it, let it just be swept into it. And Paul is saying, wake up, this is happening, don't let it happen to you. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Again, the word here is it's, it's pushing away. It's shoving away. It's not something that is it's going to naturally happen. It's something that we've got to work at it happening. And so, you want to look like Satan? Just stand still. Just live life. Eat, drink, go to work, and don't read your Bible. Don't pray. In a matter of days, you will think like the world, talk like the world. Satan hates the Bible, he hates church, he hates hearing sermons, he hates growing in the Lord, you see. So will you. And you'll say, man, why is it I can't stay awake when I read the Bible? Why is it I can't stay awake at church? Why is it I don't want to listen to my praise tapes? I'd rather listen to Madonna. And, you know, boy, I, you know, what's going on? You see, we are still flesh. Our bodies, folks, are not saved. My brain is not saved. It's a non-Christian brain and my spirit is in a non-Christian's body for lack of better explanation. My spirit is not in a Christian body. It's in a non-Christian body. My body is sold under sin, Paul said. Back to Romans chapter 7. Remember? Things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. What can I say? There's no good thing that dwells in me. Ah, that is in my flesh. For my spirit, ah, it's perfect in the willingness present. So my non-Christian body fits in very nicely with this non-Christian world. My sinful brain, my sinful hands, my sinful feet, my sinful attitudes, my sinful griping and complaining and, and humor and all this coarse jesting and all of this, it just, oh, it just adapts so nicely to the world. But I am to magnify God in my body. My body is for the Lord and, my, and the Lord is for my body. I am no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I don't have the freedom to say, I'll do whatever I want with my body. No, I am here to glorify God in my spirit and in my body. It's a package. And so it's important that we understand that God wants to transform. The word here is metamorphosize. He wants to take this dead carnal body and make it look just like your spirit. It's not. Your body's not, but it can look like it. Remember Jesus there at the Mount of Transfiguration? He had a body, the human body, remember. But when the cloud came down and Elijah and Moses showed up, he also turned into that same heavenly glory. In the same way, your body, because of the power of God's Spirit, your spirit, the Spirit that God's given you with His Spirit can so overwhelm this sinful body of yours, it can look like a metamorphosis took place. That's pretty radical, isn't it? Look over, if you would, to that most wonderful verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and look at this promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we 
all, listen to this, there's no exceptions to this, folks. We all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, metamorphosized into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. It's going to happen. And so, we need to understand that we're not to be, let ourselves be conformed. Folks, let's just, let's be real here. Can you go to the movies like the world does and it not affect you? It's going to affect you. Can you kick on the TV and watch all the garbage like the world and it not affect you? It's going to affect you. Can you listen to the world garbage music and it not affect you? It is going to stir up your flesh. It's going to want to make your flesh dance to the music the world's dancing to, talk like the world's talking, live like the world's living. It's going to do it. And so you need to know, as First Thessalonians 4 says, you need to know your body and how to present it to God in sanctification and honor. So what does trigger your body to want to go back to the world? Some people it's different. You could put a whole table of drugs up here and it wouldn't affect me. It's not something that triggers me. But there's other things that does and I've got to stay away from those things. I know some wonderful believers and, and before they came to the Lord, their God was sports. And they would go to the sporting events and they would drink and drink and drink and that was their God. And now after they've come to the Lord... They just have to say completely no to that for some time. My dear friend uh, John Wickham, who was at Costa Mesa for many years and now he's at Maranatha, when he came to the Lord, music was his God. That's all he ever did was play in rock and roll bands, you see. And when he came to the Lord, the day he came to Christ, he put his guitar in the closet. And that's what he did for a living. He was a musician. He had to go out and find a, a, real, a real job, you know. And... For two years. <laughs> for two years. For two years, he did not touch a guitar. Because it was just going to trigger, trigger in him worldliness. But after that two years, he picked up the guitar. And God added back unto him. He said he played better than he had ever played before. But again... Something as simple as a guitar. I don't know, but don't be conformed to this world. Whatever it triggers you, don't let it trigger you. But be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Folks, listen to this. Your mind is sinful. We therefore have to fill up our minds, you see, with so much of the Word of God. Now, will it last? It's, it's like your cell phone. Will that battery last for a year? <laughs> no. Many cell phones, you know, you can plug them in overnight and you undo them and, and just let them sit around for a day and try to make a call that night and it's dead. The phone's dead. Because that battery just, the, the juices go out of it just sitting around, not even using it. In the same way, the world and its garbage is in there and God's Spirit and the Word of God and, and you have to jump in there and fill your mind up with the Word, with praise, with worship with the fellowship. Look over, if you would, a couple of very, very important and key verses. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. 
concerning the mind. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility, listen, of their mind. You want to know what perfect futility of mind is? Listen to the opening dialogue of Jay Leno. That's perfect futility of mind. That's the perfect non-believer, just a worldly garbage, Satan himself talking out of human flesh, garbage mouth. There you go. Having their understanding darkened, or Howard Stern, there's another one, um, futility of their mind. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, in their brain, folks, because of the hardening of their hearts, who being past feelings. You see what the, the vain mind does? It, it totally warps your senses. Having given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. But be renewed, how? In the spirit of what? Your spirit? No, the spirit of your mind. That tells us something about our mind, doesn't it? Your mind is just not what's between your two ears. There's a spiritual aspect to your mind. That you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We have to put on that new man every day that was made in true righteousness and holiness. That our mind, you see, is not kept in vanity, in lewdness, in uncleanness, in greediness, and all these things that cause our flesh. Also, one more verse, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Again, talking about the mind. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, you're a dead man, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what would Jesus do? Very applicable. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with its deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in what? The knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So we have to be renewed in that knowledge which is according to the image of Him. We've got to set our minds on the things above, not on the things of this earth. 
And so we come back. We're not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed, how? By the renewing of the mind. And again, folks, it's living in that spiritual arena. Today I picked up a brother from the church and he was gonna, we were going to go up together. I was doing the To Every Man and Answer show um, in Marietta. And uh, I thought he said to go to his work. He thought I said to come to my house. So I was at his work at the same time he was at my house. And uh, thank God for cell phones. And uh, I called his cell phone and, and uh, said, where are you at? He goes, where are you at? You know, and, and so it ended up and it's just like, praise God. We're supposed to be late. God has some kind of divine reason. And so we went to eat lunch and sure enough, we bump into this guy who definitely needed some ministry to him. And it just so happens as he was coming out, we were coming in. Perfect timing. And how the Lord worked it out. And so this is again where it says that you will prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do you know what God's will is? People often say, well, God, tell me what it is you want me to do. That is not how God works. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not figuring out what is step one through ten today. First, Brian, here's what you need to do. You know. Secondly, this is what you're going to do. You know. And it's like going around trying to a scavenger hunt. You know, trying to figure out exactly what the next step is going to be. No, that's the joy of Christianity. I just live. And as I live, as Psalms 37 says, as I delight myself in the Lord and dwell faithfully in the land, what happens? He gives us the desires of our hearts. And our way is established by the Lord. And that's the great joy of Christianity. It's not finding the will of God. It's being in the will of God every single second. So I don't need to find it. I'm in it. Take another step. I'm still in it. Take another step. I'm still in it. I decide to go over here to get hamburgers and no, I don't think so. There's an all-you-can-eat sushi plate. All right, okay, let's go there. And then all of a sudden, you bump into this guy and you realize it was planned. God's so good. He, he knows, you see. He's, we're not finding the will of God. We're just doing it. We're living in it. He says this is the will of God, that you rejoice in everything and in everything give thanks. This is the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification. You don't find this is the will of God, step one, two, three, four, five. Let's end tonight over there in Psalms 37. Psalms 37. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. New Testament, how would that be said? Give your bodies as a living holy sacrifice, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what it means to do good. To dwell in the land and what? To feed on His faithfulness. To dwell where? To be where God's at. To be in the Word. To be in prayer. To be in fellowship with other Christians. To be living that Christian life. That's in God's land. And then feeding on His faithfulness. Also translation says to be faithful yourself. And then in verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord. 
and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And then what do you do? You commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he shall bring it to pass. Like the New American, it says, he'll do it. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light. There it is. That righteousness that's inside of you will come forth as light. And your justice, you've been justified by His grace, will show forth as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. And boy, what a great chapter that is. I wish we could read it all tonight. But what is the concept? It's really do it, folks. With your body, with your time. Consecutively, day after day after day. Not saying, Brian, hey, I had a great time. I haven't looked at pornography for three days. Well, praise God. But I'll rejoice when you say three years. And we'll see the power of it when you say 30 years. Gee, I haven't been lying for a whole day. <laughs> well, praise God. God's working on that. But what power there's going to be in your life and living in that perfect will of God, you see. Knowing and press testing and proving and just experiencing God's perfect will. When you say, man, I just speak truth to one another because God, that's what He would do. Well, Lord, there's so much to be said about these verses. And what a joy it is, Lord, to know that by the power of your Spirit, our body and our mind can be transformed. We don't have to be conformed. Lord, in our world, it's probably harder than ever. There's not a whole things, there's not a lot of redemptive things in our world at all. It's hard to enjoy a few minutes of TV without being polluted, at least by the advertisements. It's hard to go to a, a movie without having to watch the little sections of other movies that are just perverted. Lord, it's hard to go to the schools and to the malls and, and at work without hearing your name used in vain and people so ignorant of your word, so polluted by the things of this world. Lord, we ask that you would cause our righteousness to break forth as like the light and the justice, Lord, the justification you've done to show like the noonday. Lord, what joy there is in living, truly living, the Christian life. It's only reasonable out of all that you've done for us that we would truly live for you. And we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We don't doubt it even for a second, even if the rapture's to come. We know we're right with you because of your mercies that we are saved not by any works that we have done, but by your mercies and your kindness and your righteousness, by the renewing and regeneration of your Holy Spirit, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Bye-bye.